Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about relationships, culture, society, and dating from a male and female perspective. And speaking of dating today, we're talking about being done with dating. There's a lot of people out there, specifically millennials and Gen Z, who say they're done with dating. They're fed up with the apps. They're fed up with the culture. Some people are even describing what we're currently going through as a mating crisis. So, Nice topic that we can talk about. Well, uh, uh, not maybe not the nicest topic, <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh, we'll do a nice conversation about that topic at the three-minute mark. And before then, we will do some announcements. The first one is that we have a YouTube channel, in case you don't know yet, youtube.com slash at podcast. Make sure you go and subscribe to that YouTube channel. We're going to post a lot of highlights. We're going to post the full video versions of the podcast on there. If you're already watching on the YouTube channel, hello. That's probably weird for you to hear considering you're already on there. But nonetheless, <laughs> thank you for subscribing. Um, we are sponsored by Crush Organics. Do you want to relax? Do you want to chill out? Get yourself some Crush Organics CBD oil. they got all sorts of levels of uh, concentration, got the diamond oil, the platinum oil, the everyday oil. Go to crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. Use the code NEIL. Get 40% off. I've been using that pain cream on my back, on my shoulders, because I'm already an old man, and it works wonders. So crushorganics.com. Use the code NEIL, N-E-E-L, and you get 40% off. Do you like to laugh? Or are you a psychopath? Even if you are a psychopath, come to a Comedy Untamed show. We have shows all across the country, all across the east coast of the country. We've got weekly shows in Sydney, weekly in Melbourne, monthly in Newcastle, and monthly in Geelong. And we're scheduled to start a weekly version of the show up in Brisbane, probably around July. So if you live in the Sunshine State, uh, stay tuned for that. And then the goal next year is to probably start monthly shows in Adelaide and Perth as well. So we taken over, franchising out oh. comedy rooms all over the country. So go to comedyuntamed.com, get yourself some tickets. I'm at almost all the Sydney shows. I come to the Melbourne shows every now and again. Uh, big comedians that drop in. Dave Hughes has come in. French is always there. Luke Kidgel's there. Beck Charwood comes in. Conchetta from Triple J comes in. Everyone's there. So come to Comedy Untamed. All right, done with dating. Let's talk about that. So uh, dating today, a lot of people are fed up. A lot of people are uh, exasperated. They're frustrated. They feel like they're putting their best foot forward, but everyone else is disingenuous and wants to just ghost them and there's all these fuck boys or all these women who uh, you know just have too many options and therefore have option paralysis and can't be authentic you hear a lot of this you hear a lot of this from uh, particularly people our age I find uh, people in their late 20s mainly just people in their 20s specifically but then I also hear this from people who are older as well I've uh, read and, and heard stories from people who are actually divorced and and getting back into the dating market and they hate it they it, it, it's it's unrecognizable to what it was uh when they were dating and if they had been married for 10 15 20 years yeah it would be if they were dating yeah. in the early to mid 2000s even uh the the world of dating now is just completely unrecognizable 
Um, I'm sure all of you have seen that graph. It's a common graph that's constantly shared across the internet and it shows how couples generally meet. And I think it's America, but I'd say Australia is not too dissimilar. And it showed that from the 80s, I think some of the most prominent uh, environments where couples met were, you know, through friends or at church or at work. And those steadily went down a little bit up to the 2000s. And online dating started, I think, in the sort of early 90s. And it was very low. Uh, It was very low until about 2010 or so. And it just skyrockets. And something like, I think more than half of couples now meet online in some way, shape or form. And look, it might not necessarily be the, the factor that is contributing most to the dismay of a, a lot of people who are done with dating. I mean, I, I found my partner on, on Tinder and I've never been happier. Um, yeah. You you met Adrian through, was it was it Bumble? Hinge. Hinge, there you go. So yeah. it's a lot of success stories from online dating, but uh, there's also a lot of horror stories and there's a lot of horror stories about <laughs> yeah. dating in general today. It's, it's a topic we, we talk, talk about a lot in, in our podcast, but here's, here's a podcast yeah. deliberately – just talking about this. So, uh, Eliza, what are your uh, introductory thoughts on on this phenomenon? Well, when you do any research on being done with dating, it's so interesting how much of it comes down to, or not comes down to, but how much people write specifically about women being done with dating. And it's really coming across in pop culture that women are the reason why people are single now. Um, Women are choosing to stay single longer or stay single permanently. It's interesting how little I actually saw about men choosing to be single for the purpose of wanting to be single. So that was an interesting point I came across. But one thing um, that I really enjoyed reading was a study and it was about the different generations And it was specifically for people that are single and their reasoning as to why they are single. Um, So I just picked the majority reasons as to why. So for Gen Z, 73% of people that choose to be single said it's because they have more important priorities than dating. For millennials, 67% said they're finding it hard to meet the right person or meet people at all. Um, For Gen X, 65%, this one was the most kind of had more multiple reasons, but it says 65% liked being single more than being in a relationship. They felt that they had more important priorities than dating. And they also can't find people to meet expectations. So like you said, a lot of people that were divorced or in long-term relationships fell out of those relationships in this kind of, when this study was done and those are the reasons why they're staying single. And finally for baby boomers, 73% said they just enjoy being single more. So I thought that was really interesting. The difference between the generations, like millennials was just like, I can't find the right person. And Gen Z is like, I don't have time for men or women. I I've got things to do. I've got goals. <laughs> so yeah, it's fascinating. I didn't, I would have maybe assumed it, but yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting, but also not, not too surprising either. Yeah. It sort of makes sense relative yeah. to where people would be. Yeah. I'd assume a lot of the Gen Xers and baby boomers who are, are people who are going back into the 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 dating market after having been in a long term relationship. Not not all of them, but uh, what could be the case there is they've experienced a tumultuous or a suboptimal or even a, a bad or even an abusive relationship and 
then it would make a lot of sense as to being much happier as a single person. Um, yeah. That I, yeah. W- I would guess is the reason for uh, some of those statistics for Gen Z. I mean, a lot of Gen Z is still really young and, and it makes sense that you might want to prioritize career at that point. I, I do find the whole I'm prioritizing my career thing interesting though because, you know, you can you can date people where you, it's not yeah. like I, even I, I, I see Andrea well once or twice a week i mean we're both pretty much full steam ahead in in our um careers as well right now but you still have a very loving and committed relationship i i do wonder how much of that is just people maybe not using it as an excuse but uh perceiving relation a, a relationship as much more work than it actually is a good relationship yeah there's always work there but uh it, it's it's it has more benefits than than the the work, um, and so yeah, I I I wonder about that one. Um, yeah, I do uh, because I think a lot of I listening to a podcast that said something like sixty five percent of people they estimate have some kind of underlying attachment issue, and it's and it's just it's getting worse because they don't know exactly why, but they theorize it's you know parents having less time with their children less uh less of a social network more social media mm-hmm. um a lot of insecurity a lot of identity crises occurring and that can manifest in sort of unhealthy attachment styles and when you have an unhealthy attachment style uh you can have a lot of negative experiences dating uh, you yeah. can also be attracted to people that are also have an unhealthy attachment style, and uh, as you know, it's the um, age-old narrative that uh, someone with an anxious attachment gets with someone with an avoidant attachment style, and and at first sparks are flying, and it's incredible, and neither party can keep their hands off each other, but uh, it almost always spirals downward. And then they feed into each other's relational fears. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that, it. Yeah. And that, that can probably contribute. I would guess that would contribute to maybe some of that Gen, Gen Z uh, phenomenon of, of having things that, that are more important. Having said that, I'm sure there's a lot of people who also just, they don't want to have to organize dates and things. And maybe they're happier just having a casual encounter whenever it happens. But, not formally dating someone. Although if, if people are in that position, I would encourage them to maybe think about that and delve into that narrative a bit deeper because I definitely had elements of that. I'm not saying everyone's in the same boat I was, but uh, then when I actually had a very good and secure relationship, completely changed my mind on on that. Um, the yeah. millennial one's probably the saddest, isn't it? People who, yeah. who, what did you say? They want to, they actually want to date, but they can't. Can't find find some, oh, yeah, that's really sad. Um, they can't. They find it difficult to meet people. Yeah, there's a so, yeah. epidemic of loneliness. They're calling it. There's um, particularly post-pandemic, and particularly in America. But I'm sure you can usually the statistics in America can be would be similar in Australia. Uh, yeah, people are just, and especially among men, they just maybe they have you know, increased anxiety or they, and particularly social yeah. anxiety and, and there's just less opportunities for people to go out. Yeah. And as a result, they're just finding it more comfortable to stay inside and be on their phone, be on Reddit, be on social media. 
and it can feel like work going out to meet people, to the bar, to yeah. the party, the gathering, whatever it might be. And yeah, uh, the 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 positive outcomes of a strong social circle and strong healthy relationships are just they're extreme. There's so many positive mental and physical health outcomes for having a strong social network and good relationships in your life. And, and you know, like with a, re- a romantic relationship, there are times when a, when a friendship and a social circle can become work. But um, I suppose I'm going a bit off just dating here, but I think, the, you know, the loneliness experienced by a lot of millennials is really heartbreaking. And, and yeah. maybe they put yeah. like what Esther Perel says, they put because they're so lonely and don't have a lot of other avenues for uh, – you know, deeper social connections, they put a lot of emphasis on the romantic partner. And, you know, when you, when your expectations are that high, it, it can be hard for someone to meet them. And that's not to say you should just lower your expectations and, you know, date someone you might not be inherently compatible with or attracted to. But I do wonder if, if um, uh, the that phenomenon she talks about quite consistently is uh is at play with some of those statistics yeah Yeah, i did find that interesting because people not meeting expectations was um was a factor that was rated which for millennials wasn't the highest or even gen z however when you read any kind of article yeah pop culture chat about why people are choosing not to date they always say it's because women are saying men aren't meeting their expectations. So that is kind of interesting because is that actually backed by data or is that anecdotal? But to go back to what you were saying about, you know, when relationships, Gen Z saying it's because they have more important priorities and that like a good relationship, it's obviously work, but the benefits far outweigh the cons. It seems kind of easy. It flows. I 100% agree with that. But that being said, not to toot our horns, Neil, but we have, you know, healthy relationships we, with ourselves and our partners both having, you know, higher emotional intelligence. And you'd be so surprised how things that you and I might consider obvious that the everyday person just don't, cannot grasp, cannot communicate effectively, have high levels of conflict, um, have had really previous difficult relationship experiences. So relationships can seem like so much work I've had. You wouldn't believe actually how many men I've had message me in their mid twenties, um, from this podcast saying, thank you for your podcast. It has genuinely saved my relationship, um, and brought to my, brought to light things I didn't even know or weren't aware of. I had so many, it's amazing. It's really um, touching. Yeah, and so many girls, well, not so many, as many, but I've had girls as well or women message me saying that they've got their men, their partners <laughs> listening to this podcast um, to to learn together and doing it together as couples and listening together. So I find that, yeah, quite fascinating. But I do Ho- understand. Hopefully the that, women have learned from it too. Yes, of course, of course, of course. Um, but, yeah, it's I, it was very dominated by men saying, yeah, just like, shocked at how how much they had in their blind spots and how much growing they had to do or how little like you know the things that they weren't aware of or conscious of or just understanding 
female male relationship dynamics a bit better um can make such a big difference but which is interesting though because i think of all the generations gen z are so hyper focused on those kind of you know buzzword lingo like attachment theory and love languages and all these things where it's almost you know tip the scale too far the other way where you know we've talked about this a lot in other podcasts where it's like anytime someone puts a boundary in place he's a narcissist or she's a narcissist or she's a psycho that we're almost like so much armchair psychology happening and people trying to psychoanalyze each other and I remember going on a date and a guy trying to tell me his assumption about me from what he could gather where he was like oh you know just reading you I can really understand like this is the type of childhood you had and like you were really (laughs) motivated to help people because this and I was like you could not be fucking further from the truth mate like (laughs) this is so wrong please don't try to do this to other people and it's embarrassing um so yeah I, I do think I see that so much in the younger generation and I work with, you know, teenagers a lot or young people um, and when they talk to me about their relationships or maybe not even their relationships because you do have insight obviously to your partners but with people they're dating or people they're meeting and just the things they say, I'm like, that's a very far-fetched theory which of course could be correct but let's not you know minimize someone to being like um well, this person he definitely has autism this is what i hear all the time he definitely has autism so he has I get that trouble a lot. expressing this and about you yeah really huh. hmm. from from women or just uh, okay public, okay maybe not what? a lot but uh a few times it's, it's enough to, to uh, for me to raise eyebrows and think oh okay do I? Do I? <laughs> yeah. But uh, Andrea, that's her. That's literally her job, and she says yeah. no, no, not in a million yeah. years. So, yeah, yeah. The the diagnoses uh, among Gen Z is uh, is quite a lot, isn't it? A lot of self diagnosis yeah. and a lot of yeah. And and from uh, Andrea tells me that uh, a lot of people then come into a clinic and they already have these ideas about what they yeah. might be experiencing. And then when the psychologist says, no, in my professional opinion, you actually don't, they find it very invalidating. Yeah. And then they start criticizing the psychology profession. And you think, well, who's the real narcissist here? Like you're criticizing an entire professional body of people who are trained to do the diagnosing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's It's, really interesting how common that is with young people. I just had this conversation with my girlfriends the other day. And we were trying to unpack this and we were going back and forth on this where basically some of us were of the opinion that social media and the trends of, you know, coming out with, basically it was simple. I don't know if you've seen the video that was posted on Esther Perel's um, Instagram where she was into being interviewed by someone, I can't remember who, but the woman was saying, you know, young people, they diagnose with anyone, they say if you twiddle your hair, you have ADHD and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Esther was saying that, you know, let's not, well, she wasn't really saying let's not judge young people, but she was saying this is a reflection of a larger issue in society. Um, people are searching for meaning or they're feeling lost, blah, blah, blah. That's just me like giving a very brief summary, probably not the point she was making so much. But anyway, I was talking about it with my friends and we were going back and forth about how in some ways it's really beneficial, particularly, say, for women um, to come across 
videos or social media about autism and ADHD because women have historically been so heavily misdiagnosed because they're being, you know, assessed against typical symptoms in men. Um, And that is backed by mounds and mountains of um, research and data. That's statistical. Um, So in some ways it's been great in that sense, but in other sense, there's been so many times, even for me, I've been like, my God, I have blah, 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 all these things. I have pot syndrome <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Like Same. It's, you can get looped into it. And then all these videos come up and you're like, oh, my God. But you know what? It's like, yeah, most of us in this day and age, especially if you're younger than 30, have attention issues. We have dopamine addictions. We have shorter attention spans. We do fidget, we do touch our hair, we do have body aches, we do have gut issues. Like, you know, it's very common. Um, and unfortunately, those things can also be comorbid with diagnoses of ADHD or autism or POTS or hypermobility or EDS, all these things. Um, so it's where, where are the benefits? Anyway, this is a whole other ethical Yeah, that's probably a, but, that, but that we should do a podcast on that yeah, for sure. Yeah, we but should. Yeah. So coming but back I guess, to- yeah, when it comes to dating, it's not only people hyper-diagnosing themselves, but they're doing it to others. Um, and it's this – I always feel kind of torn about this because I preach so much being aware and being able to see um, – more than just what meets the eye when you're, you know, talking about dating someone and like getting to really truly understand someone. But I'm also a really big believer that you understand someone based on what they tell you rather than, and also what they're showing you, but rather than what you're just assuming and making assumptions about it. But yeah, for particularly, I see so many women diagnosing with men like narcissistic. That was so 2021. Now it's autism. Um, and like Andrea said, uh, you know, our mutual friend, she works specifically with, um, as a, as a psychologist with people with autism and yet she, all her like girlfriends are always like, I'm pretty sure my partner has autism. And she's like, I literally work as a therapist specifically for people with autism. He doesn't have autism. Why is everyone thinking (laughs) their partners have autism? And it's because if a man doesn't communicate, as efficiently or to the same level as a woman does, it's like, mm, what's the deficit here? Oh, there must be autism because people just associate autism with an inability to communicate effectively, which is, you know, a stigma um, and not always accurate. So it's dangerous then yeah, as well because rant, sorry. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're you're treating someone um, as though they have a, you know, this. Uh, uh, they're yeah. on the they're on the spectrum or whatever, but and if they're not, that's just going to make things worse because then they're going to yeah. think, oh, I'm a, yeah, are you like, enabling them? Are you being too gentle, or exactly. are you going the opposite end, like punishing someone? Yeah, yeah, it's risky. Yeah, so yeah, there's a, there's a whole podcast in that, but uh, mm. it, it, that would probably contribute to a lot of Gen Z not necessarily wanting to to date. I find they also. And this is very anecdotal, but um, they can find communities though that where they then will date among people that have all, well, whether misdiagnosed, they've definitely all diagnosed themselves, and then they yeah. actually find a lot of um, connection in in talking about those various diagnoses, yeah. and it becomes Absolutely. a big identity point for them that they connect yeah. upon. So 
There's that. Um, I think Gen Z also just doesn't go out at all. From from what of the statistics I've I've read, they they um, now there's some good things that have come about, which is that um, teenage drinking and drug use and unprotected sex, all of that has declined. But yeah. uh, rates of anxiety, depression, social media use have all uh, drastically inclined and. It seems like it's because they're just at home on their phones and they're not actually and, – and look, I've got a career being on social media um, and I use my phone quite a lot and it would be somewhat hippo- – I know I always preach about, you know, limit the phone use, limit the phone use, but I, look, I use it relatively uh, – in in high um, in high doses sometimes and it's because a lot of my work is on social media and there is a lot of really brilliant things you can – get from social media there's a lot of um yeah really cool ideas mm-hmm. uh, like a true diversity of opinion uh and you know sort of democratized information which uh, it's, look it has its negatives and its positives there but uh yeah i i, I do wonder if gen z is then sort of negatively associated dating with the more of the climate they're currently existing in so they're just maybe a particularly anxious or depressed person and as a result they feel like they can't give their best self to a partner or they've tried to date and, and it hasn't worked out and as a result they're sort of, you know, done done with dating kind of thing. Um, I guess coming back to, yeah, our generation, we always say, you always say like the younger generation, young people, like you are, you're like 28, aren't you? you got to stop saying. Hey, I'll be 29 <laughs> this year, so it's a big difference, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we probably don't need to, I'm sure someone who's 40 listening to this rolling their eyes are two people That's in their 20s. That's what my dad says. You know, yeah, talking about like the young generation. Always says that. So yeah. uh, <laughs> we should, we should, True. we should uh, think about that, but um. Yeah, the millennial one is really sad because I uh, I think I mentioned this on a few podcasts ago. I know a few that have sort of been in a long-term relationship in their mm. mid-late 20s, even early 30s, even mid-30s, and that didn't work out for them and they're still processing that. And then if it's a, if it's a female, she's, she's got to think about her biological clock and yeah. there's all these other factors at play and then it's really depressing and, and sad and um, we've we've – changed what we expect from a partner but the world has changed as well and technology has changed so it's a you're sort of confused um if you're a sort of secular millennial in the dating world you don't you don't really know what you should be expecting and whether you're asking for too much but then at the same time you you want to trust your gut and and sort of say no this person didn't feel right and therefore i but am i being mean and there's a lot of overthinking that comes with it Mm. and you know, that could also be because we're on social media all the time or it just could be that we just, you know, in, in the 50s, you you sort of had a roadmap as to how you should act on a date and how yeah. you should propose to someone. When you should, you, you, you went to the girl's father and you asked for permission. And then, yeah, that's all very patriarchal and traditional and we've said we're not going to do that anymore. But now we just don't know how to act. We don't really know what to do. And people have very different ideas of what is appropriate, what is... um considered you know good form in in on a first date second date even early on in a relationship and then that can lead to a lot of conflict and Mm. until we sort of have a a sort of basic guidelines of what a healthy secular relationship romantic relationship looks like but also you know how one should act 
what what is what is ethical and what is moral and what people what should people be striving for in the realm of dating on the first, second, third, fourth dates, and then early on in the relationship, what is the appropriate? Now that we don't have the, the sort of gender norms, but we still are tied to our biology. Like, what what do we do? <laughs> yeah. What what you know? Everyone says things like, "Well, just be yourself." Well, that doesn't help, and especially I think for men, that doesn't that doesn't help me. That doesn't help a lot of men. Um, I think uh, maybe some more details without it becoming controlling could really help a lot of secular romantic relationships um particularly in the millennial generation yeah well i guess that's the hard thing is that we fought so hard well you know previously we fought so hard for liberation from those dating molds and narratives and standards um and then a lot of people are left confused by that now and being like i don't know what the structure is i don't know how to approach this um can I go up to someone at work? Is that ethical anymore? Can I, do people go to bars anymore? Uh, where do single people congregate? Uh, you know, Tinder is so oversaturated with men compared to women and all these kind of things. So it is interesting. And I think another really big factor, generations aside, is that there there has been in recent years a shift in society or societal norms regarding being single and relationships and what previously might have been something that was looked down upon where people would always ask like, oh, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to find a partner? When are you going to get married? When are you find a nice girl, find a nice man, blah, blah, blah. Like there's not so much of that pressure anymore, at least in, you know, your standard Australian culture. This is, you know, the, maybe not in other cultures. Um, but where being single was almost taboo is now no longer considered weird or abnormal. It's just many people are happy to accept that other people live their entire life single and they don't even think about it. Um, it can be, yes, it can be cons- considered as empowering or, or liberating even. So, hmm. yeah, especially if, with, if, like if I said, women. Yeah. If they, yeah, it's, yeah. I think that there are also a few that um, – are resigned to the fact that they're happier single than in a relationship based on previous experiences. But I wonder yeah. if you ask them, okay, if you knew you could have a healthy relationship, would that be your preference? Um, I don't know I think, the answer to that. I think that would be 100% yes. I'm not 100% yeah. obviously, but I think that would definitely be the majority. And when you look into why people – a single, a lot of it comes, a lot of what comes back is men saying that they're, you know, they feel jaded, they've been hurt, um, they're sick of being rejected, they want to work on themselves. And for women, so much of it is coming down to actually we have higher expectations in communication um, or relational standards and women are wanting men to be able to meet those standards. And that, that's literally like a, a movement and I see it all the time where men are like shaming women saying good luck then like you're not going to find someone who's going to be single and barren <laughs> they're not using the word barren but you know forever um yeah, and a lot then of that, women yeah. are going back saying you know well i'm so sorry for ha- wanting the bare minimum standards on a man and expecting a man to be able to communicate with me effectively rather than punching a hole in the wall like i can deserve to wait for it. and i have friends um Two friends of mine that are 
are single and it's interesting because they, and I've spoken about um, them before, one in particular, and she's got really, really high standards and she herself was a really attractive, funny, outgoing, intelligent, high-earning person um, and she she's a catch and she's really hot as well. So she's a total catch but she, knowing that about herself in a, in a humble way, you know, um, has really high standards for a man and she really, really wants to settle down and have a family. That's the dream but she wants to settle down with the perfect person and she has not been able to find the perfect person. So she's going on date after date, after date, after date, after date, but there's always kind of something lacking in. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people are assuming, well, that's the case for all women that are choosing to stay single. I don't think it is. I think it's the case for some, Um, but I think a lot of it is, you know, I'm waiting for someone to meet my expectations in a relationship and now actually, People are more comfortable waiting and they're okay with waiting rather than being like, shit, I'm 27. I got to, or even younger, I got to get married. I got to settle down. I got to have a baby. Like people are like, you know what? That might not happen to 35, 40, whatever, older. Um, So be it. I'm happy to wait around. So that's kind of what I was coming back from data and least in terms of women is that they're actually more happy to wait for someone that is a better match to them. Um, but there was limited about men, why they're waiting, other than what I could see just on people's personal opinions, like little art, BuzzFeed articles or Reddit and things like that, which is still relevant and still counts and could encapsulate the views of men as a whole. But I wouldn't know. There wasn't much data I came across that um, spoke I, about it. I can only talk from my – I haven't looked at any broad data, but yeah. – uh, some of my friends, male friends who at least currently want to stay single, yeah. generally they have had a, a, a bad relationship yeah. and yeah. Uh, they just don't think it's worth it. They feel like they're being it, – it's a, it's a trap. It's, uh, you know, it's restrictive mm. and it's sort of controlling and, and, you know, a lot of them are pretty uh, attractive and charismatic guys. It's not you're just stereotypical incel who can't get a date – if anything, yeah. it's it seems to be the extremes either way. It's either a very uh, yeah. not particularly desirable incel, or it's a highly desirable man who who might have still had a bad relationship and thinks, well, what's the point? I could get a, I can because of online dating, I can uh, have uh, quite a high number of casual partners, yeah. and that's pretty fun. And I get my, you know, point. you know. Men don't have the same emotional needs women do on average. Uh, and if you're seeing someone casually and non-exclusively just whenever you can, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean um, the man will develop a deeper romantic connection. And I know some people who are doing that with multiple partners have, uh, you know, a few on rotation. <laughs> uh, yeah. And But then I also yeah. know some women who do that yeah and look there was a time in my life where I kind of did that and you know it's fun uh but I I do I look back at why I was doing it and part of it was just the thrill of being being this kind of cool you know young guy who's you know look I'm relatively successful and gets to kind of you know, sleep around with um, 
different girls. It's it's definitely appealing for a lot of men, um, but it doesn't really give you a lot of deeper meaning long term. And I know that's a cliche, and I know a lot of guys might hear that and kind of roll their eyes. But I, I'm just telling you from my personal experience. Uh, after a while, I, it, it that gets old and might not be the same for everyone but i i do know a lot of guys in that not maybe not a lot but definitely a handful of uh of men in that boat and i wonder if they'd still think that way when they're in their 50s and yeah still doing that um, do you know what's interesting is i came across i don't know if i believe in this but i'll i'm interested what you think and it was a, i think it was a saying and it was basically that Men can be with or dating the most perfect long-term partner for them, but that doesn't matter. Men will settle down with whoever they're with when they're at the point of ready to be settled down. So when they decide, I'm ready to get married or have kids or I want to f- make a family, basically whoever they're dating <laughs> is they're like, you'll <laughs> not you'll do, but they'll be like, this is the person for me. Whereas for women, um, it would be a lot of the time I might settle down when I find that perfect person um, or even if I'm going through this in my life or this is happening, I've got this perfect man, I'm not going to leave him to experience single life or whatever. But I guess the saying was more about just the, ma- the that male perspective that whenever they're ready, whoever they're dating, that's the person. <laughs> I've seen a bit of that on TikTok actually yeah. and I – trawl through the comments and see a lot of women being quite shocked and even critical of something like that. But I don't think it's as bad as people think that is. I think, you know, when you're ready, it's not like you just pick anyone and everyone, but like, hey, I love this person. I I could see myself uh, building a family life with them. I want to settle down with that person. I don't don't think this, this sort of narrative of there's this one soulmate out there for me, I think a soulmate develops over shared experiences and a long-term connection develops over shared experiences. And I actually, I think vasopressin is, is sort of the more of a bonding chemical for men. And yeah. and and the way that uh, increases in men is, is, yeah, sort of shared challenges that you overcome together. And I could be butchering that. I'm, I'm reading about that currently. I'm not, I'm not an expert in it by any means. But uh, I don't think it's as bad as people on TikTok at least seem to think. Uh, I don't know what you think about that when you hear something like that. But, yeah, a lot of the people that I'm seeing talking about that phenomenon of, of men sort of settling with who they're, who they're with at, at the time when they're ready to settle, mm. why, why is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, it's kind of like I can see both sides to it and I think it's more that it's not like you dated me and then decided oh this girl's really perfect I want to settle down with her I'm ready now it's more like you decide before you start dating someone I'm ready to settle down then you start dating someone and that's the person you settle down with so I can see why people are like well was it me that was like you know you're the person I want to settle down with or was it just the fact that you were ready to settle? But that being said, I feel like for women and definitely for me, I was always ready to settle down like my whole 20s and I still dated and dumped many people. Um, so I basically had the same perspective as 
as men in some sense, but I just didn't pick the first guy um, that I was with. So I don't know. I can see both sides a little bit. I think it's just a little, it kind of feeds into that fantasy that people have men and women, but particularly probably a little bit more common with women of wanting to be this woman that's walked into his or her life and just blowing them away and locked eyes and being like, we're meant to be <laughs> forever. We're soulmates, which isn't isn't really well, it's not realistic. Real. Yeah, it's or, a, there's a reason it's in Disney fairy tales because they're fairy tales for children. You got to, and that sounds pretty harsh, but it's, uh, if anything, when you when you have that feeling, at least from what I've read and some of my personal experiences, it actually could be pointing to a, an unhealthy attachment style manifesting that oh, this yeah. is this perfect person that. I've locked eyes with them and I can't stop thinking about them. And there's so much passion in the way we make love. And yes, sometimes we fight, but then we have even better sex. And that's not healthy. That's not a healthy relationship. That is uh, a a, two people with uh, wounds, the psychological wounds that are uh, sort of healing each other's wounds through, through their infatuation bonding yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i think that it can i think it can happen um i just think in most cases you wouldn't believe and i'm not trying to sound like this sounds like a dickhead saying this but you would not believe how many guys i dated said those things to me in the first couple of dates and even in the second date I've never met a girl like you. I feel so connected to you. I feel like we've got a bond. I feel stronger than you than I've felt about my girlfriend of last three years. Like all these things where I was like, why am I constantly getting love bombers? This is a new thing that men suddenly really focusing on their words of affirmation and <laughs> over communicating their, um, you know, expressing their fondness. Uh, but then I also thought maybe it was because men hadn't had especially my younger years as like a 22 year old where most 22 year old girls would you know we spoke about in a podcast or two ago about dating between even just in your early 20s to late 20s is so drastically different especially in terms of maturity so perhaps it was because men hadn't been used to being um me for example making conversation asking about their lives um making that kind of contribution equal about finding out about each other without the expectation of I'm a woman, you need to woo me and ask me. I don't know what it was, but it was very common that men would kind of say that to me. And then again, I would also see my friends come back from dates being like, he's the one, he's the one. And then (laughs) six days later, he's not the one. Um, Turns out (laughs) he's a serial cheater and, you know, has a gambling addiction, blah, blah, blah. You know, but, you know, on the positive side, I had that feeling when I met Adrian immediately and so did he. And we were like love bombing each other from the get-go. And I can't say that it's a full fairy tale yet because we've only been together for almost three years. But it, it was one of those like, to me, like a storybook romance and it's been smooth sailing our entire relationship so maybe it does happen in some cases but I also think that we're both very emotionally intelligent and securely attached people um, that just had happened to meet each other and have every single value and moral align and I'm the type of person where I like values and morals to align perfectly or very 
you know, closely, whereas other people, maybe like you enjoy like a challenge or, or difference, um, enjoy like that kind of difference in perspective. I mean, you can speak to what you want, but I'm just saying in general, that's not everyone's perfect cup of tea. Um, it just so happens to be mine and it just so happened to be his. So it worked out for the best. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that's great that, that, um, I'm not, I don't think, uh, I'm not sort of saying you shouldn't you shouldn't have any kind of romantic connection on yeah. a first date, and it should be this sort of uh, very robotic <laughs> Indian arranged marriage proposal of ah oh, here we have these exact same values yeah. and, and love is something yeah. Westerners do, and we have to just uh, you know find if we're perfectly compatible. No, there's there's something to be said about. Uh, emotional attraction and 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 spark. physical attraction yeah. and spark and those things are Im- important but yeah I, but then people can i just think can take that to an extreme where it's just, yep. there's this one person out there that's going to just light my yeah. world up and and look i'm only saying this because i've written off exactly i've i've yeah. been in that situation where i've i've had yep. those feelings and then yeah i've uh, yep. i've felt overwhelming feelings of infatuation and love for someone and I've immediately wanted to I've fantasized about the 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 wedding and it was you know yeah. uh, pretty early on in the in the relationship and that was coming from a place of um of insecurity of a need for validation and thinking this person was sort of above me and putting them on a pedestal and yeah uh that's an important thing that I think is really key is when you're placing people on a pedestal in it's never healthy, even though it feels great and it feels great to be the receiver of that. It's never a healthy thing. It's always going to be an imbalance that plays out in your relationship at yeah. some point. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so I, I, I can just only attest to that and and say that, look, for when I uh, started seeing my current girlfriend, it, well, it, there actually wasn't a lot of that yeah. insane level of chemistry at the start. I'm not saying it was. What was your first <laughs> was day like? There. Like it was good. It wasn't. What did you do? We just get, had drinks. Yeah. How, much, how many details do you want? Like, wait, no. I want all the details. Um, did you kiss on your first date? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can see where this is going just by the look well, of face. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what <laughs> details you want, but um, yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, then then actually, as I got to know her more and and look beyond a bit of that okay it's not like there was no super intense uh connection yeah. there but uh i just saw her as having characteristics and attributes that i thought were really attractive and that i could yeah. see myself having a longer term relationship with and then as we dated those feelings came about organically yeah. over the long term and every other relationship there's been an intense um level of feelings at the start oh, and then yeah. and then it slowly dissipates Jesus, because you can yeah. no longer you know a, appease each other's idealistic version yeah. of of yeah. the other whereas it was the and again like you I'm, I'm still it's two years in it's, it's still very early yeah. on relatively speaking but yeah that that connection has developed over the long term and it's now stronger than any other relationship i've had so i yeah maybe this isn't applicable to everyone but all I can say is, yeah, I, I had that soulmate, uh, perfect person, immediate connection mindset. And 
for the first time in my life when I didn't necessarily, I, I wasn't specifically looking for that and I, I used my brain more than my heart, I feel. Yeah. Then, you know, those feelings still, my heart was still definitely satisfied in the long term and uh, yeah. it just came about in a different way. It's, it's I think, what Jonathan Haidt talks about. Uh, he talks about there's the sort of, there's, I forget the, I always forget the phrases he uses, but there's that sort of, you know, there's a bonding sort of love and connection that comes mm. from shared experiences and loyalty yeah. and getting to properly get to know the other person. And then there's infatuation, which is part sexual attraction and part yeah, maybe, you know, parent wound, <laughs> but then also yeah. part yeah. romantic chemistry that's all hitting you at once and that's where a lot of the um, best songs and best stories and uh, relatable tales of love throughout human history come from, but I, I don't think it's necessarily the best avenue. A again, at least from yeah. my personal experience, it's it's not always – it might not be the best avenue to develop a really strong long-term connection. I think that it's not necessarily a red flag if – it happens to you. I think the best perspective to take is to not expect or go in being like, I need immediate sparks love at first sight. Sight. I think the best outcome is, and it sounds like this is what happened to you, is to leave a date feeling open-minded and curious about that person. Yeah. Um, and and open to being like, let's let's go on another date and see what happens. Um, and when you set yourself up to feel that like, oh, didn't feel the fireworks immediately oh we weren't like all over each other oh he didn't do this whatever oh she didn't do that you're gonna like ride off so many people and like you said so much of that um, that kind of yearning and that obsessive lust that we seek and we desire may not be necessarily healthy for us especially if you haven't done a lot of internal work and you're not deeply aware of yourself um, and your mechanisms because, for example, people that have been in abusive relationships before or have had abusive parents might find that they are subconsciously deeply, deeply lusting after people that also exhibit those traits that they might not even recognise on a conscious level. Exactly. Because you've just had a, you know, you've met a man at a bar who's really charming and talks well and there is something on a very deep visceral level that understands this man may have, you know, these same red flags or these same attributes of your previous traumas, um, but your body can interpret that as immediate endorphin excitement and lust. So it's really you can't always trust lust, basically. It can be very dangerous. Um, so if you leave feeling open, curious, that's the best. If you have lust as well, it's not like you should write it off, um, but just don't trust that as this means everything because the second I laid eyes on this person, I was in love. <laughs> yeah, I'm not – yeah, and, and if in any way yeah. this is – I'm sounding like, oh, there's no sexual chemistry or anything like that. Definitely not. No. <laughs> but there wasn't yeah. this uh, – in other first dates I've been like, oh, she's the one. Oh, yeah. I found her. <laughs> like that yeah. – yeah, all I'm saying is that sort of yeah, didn't necessarily yeah. – didn't occur. But um, anyway, and about me uh, – what are some other – because that's maybe something that's affecting – I would guess affecting millennials a lot. Mm. 
and maybe all of the generations where they have a very uh, idealistic uh, picture of, of what their relationship would look like, but at the same time, they they have what could be called higher standards, but the, the world has just changed a lot and therefore, you know, sexual selection but also romantic selection pressures are going to be different because what makes a good male partner now is probably different to what yeah. made a good male partner back in even not even a hundred years ago. Yeah. Uh and and as a result, I think men do need to adapt and evolve. And within within reason, I'm not I don't think I've got to just count out to what, you know, one aspect of today's culture expects of us entirely, but uh, I think you can take wisdom from what any side of culture might be yearning for in terms of what makes a, a good man. Um, but, yeah, there's also this phenomenon now. I don't know if you've heard of it, passport bros. A lot of men going no. overseas to get a wife. <laughs> because they, Oh, yeah. Because oh. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. you know, don't want to date Western women. So they're just going to... South America or, or Thailand. And look, there's already a lot of stereotypes like a lot of Aussie men uh, with Asian wives, you know, they went to Thailand or whatever. Um, or they got yeah. mail-order brides or whatever. So it's not like this is completely new. Um, but I'm just seeing a lot of this now on social media where uh, particularly in America, a lot of guys are going to South America or yeah. or Eastern Europe for the purpose to find a wife and look i don't think a um career woman in america can go to south america and find a man that will meet her look i'm, I'm that could be wrong you'd there. be surprised but, uh, yeah look What's that's 90 true. days fiance that's true that's true <laughs> but um yeah. i'm going to guess you know some of the values oh actually south america look depends on a lot of factors but uh I just don't think that – I think American men would be particularly sought after um, or yeah. Western men mainly yeah. for the for the possibility of uh, someone being able to come to a Western country and also just the the esteem and the and the status that comes with being a, a, a Western man, which maybe Western men don't feel they receive from um, Western women. But at the same time, Western women are saying – you what do you want me to do just be a domestic slave for you i'm not going to do yeah. that so yeah. uh they're outsourcing the <laughs> the the housewives domestic slaves. Yeah. yeah so isn't that funny um but then again in different cultures that's not seen as i mean i'm, I'm about to mansplain this to you <laughs> but that's not seen as you know a terrible life to a lot of women from around the world that's what they want to do they want to stay at home they want to raise yeah. their children they want to look after and have a nice house that's the dream um so that's a societal shift. and you know a lot of people saying like men that go overseas even though it is a little bit you know uh, i raise my eyebrows side eye a little bit but at the same point like there are both people getting equal benefits to this in many cases. True, in they're some both cases, happy. you're taking vulnerable women, yes, of course. Um, but in other cases, you're giving women an opportunity to live a life they've always dreamed of, of being able to stay at home in a in their dream country and blah, blah, blah. So, oh, sure. yeah, it's, um, 
It is interesting. Oh, and yeah. Obviously, I'm- not everyone in every society will have the same matches. And it's, I can understand in some ways that women's goals, at least in, say, like Australia and the shift, societal shift of what we desire and want has changed so drastically with, you know, feminist movements, which I'm all for. I love this. I love that I have more than one avenue other than just bearing children and staying at home and raising them. I think it's fantastic. But at the same point, that shift was so drastic for women that that shift didn't occur to men in our society. And I admire and love that a lot of men are so on board and embrace that as well. But some men, you know, rightfully like want things the way they were. And that was what they desired in in a woman in a relationship. And if they seek that from a different culture, there's nothing necessarily bad for that. I just don't like it when they're 55 and picking girls that are 18. That's what kind of rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> oh, I just think it's fu- I just think it's funny. I'm not. I don't think it's uh, yeah. you know necessarily yeah, a b- yeah. bad or good. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, it's just yeah. it's just the whole thing is kind of funny. That's all. <laughs> but it's comical. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's uh, yeah. Just some of the discourse online about that is um, they're both kind of there's this sort of gender war that tends to get debated in the comments of some of those videos and um, yeah. I find it quite entertaining to sit there with my popcorn, metaphorical popcorn. There's um, there's one woman on TikTok, I wish I could remember her name, but she's like, I think she's Thai, I think she is, and she has, she's young and she's got like a 70-year-old white husband and she moved to whatever country he's from, Australia or America, I can't remember, but she literally just blatantly says all the time she's just waiting for him to die for the inheritance <laughs> she's like just posted it to hundreds of thousands of people and it's so funny but she's like well i want a benefit he gets a nice hot young wife and what's my benefit i get all his money <laughs> so well yeah. look people don't want to admit it but uh, a lot like, of That's not, yeah a lot <laughs> of human relationships are, are all human relationships are transactional you need to feel like yeah. you're getting some kind of the perceived yeah. benefit needs to outweigh what they perceive they're benefiting from. And yeah. a lot of people don't understand that about romantic relationships and have a kind of Disney view about yeah. what it takes to have a good relationship. And I think um, that's at least she's very, yeah, she's very honest and good on her. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he probably doesn't, he thinks, Fine, I'm I'm gonna die yeah. soon anyway, so yeah. fine. She can go have the money. Um, yeah. They both get what they want out of it, so <laughs> you know is what it is. Um, it's uh, just interesting how like yeah, globalization is now. The people are literally outsourcing wives. <laughs> I just yeah, find that funny. That's all. Hectic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, what you said before about how there's been these successive waves of feminism and things have drastically changed in the West, uh, what when you say there's there's a lot of avenues for you now, I've I've heard and seen some commentary from women who do want to have children and, and be more of a housewife, and they say it's it's not actually that accessible because they have to work now at this point yeah. unless they have a very rich husband if they want to. Yeah. Give their children a you know a decent um, head start in life and, and just a good quality of life. At least from their perspective, they feel like they have to work and mm-hmm. and because women entered the workforce on mass on mass, it did um, 
you know, then more people wanted to buy property, more singles wanted to buy property, that boosts the property market. Uh, the value of labor because there's then, you know, twice as many people now competing for same amount of jobs. And then you add immigration to it as well. Uh, the actual value of each worker goes down, relatively speaking. So then it becomes harder to, even though that avenue is still technically there. And, and by no means, whenever I bring this up, people assume I'm saying, oh, then let's just go back. And I'm not saying that. But, yeah. but uh, there are always costs and benefits. And I think the benefits outweigh the costs in this situation by far. But yeah. one of those costs is now you can't, it's not that you can't, but just a lot harder to live a middle class or even a working class life on one income unless that income yeah. is, is you know, quite high. Uh, I'm sure I don't need to tell you yeah. this, um, but yeah, compared to what our parents uh, had, they could raise a family quite comfortably on one income. They could buy a house quite comfortably on that same income. They could buy a car, sometimes even two cars, go yeah. on a holiday once. You just live a good, decent middle class or even working class life. Nothing ostentatious, not not any big mansion, but and I think at the end of that's what most people want. They don't they don't yeah. want they don't even if public education's good, they'll send their kids to public school. They just want to be able to have enough money to enjoy themselves once a week, go to a nice restaurant or go out, take the family out. Not not nothing lavish. Uh have a good house. Uh have a car. And maybe go on a holiday once a year, even if it's just camping up the coast or something like that. I think the vast majority of definitely Australians, they're happy with that. They don't need a Ferrari. They don't need private education. They don't need uh, holidays to Paris or anything wild or crazy. They just want a good middle, you know, working class life that their parents probably had. And that is becoming... Uh, it's just becoming a lot harder, uh, or it's ch it's changing the way that the, what that looks like is changing, and the work is very insecure, and yeah. cost of living pressures, and and property, and and you know we have very cheap consumer goods. Um, TVs are very cheap, clothes are very cheap, everything's cheap because we have a global marketplace now, and and you know the 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 wealth gap has increased, mm. uh, so. Yeah, that's not as accessible to both women and men as it as it was even 20, 30 years ago. You know, yeah, I, I watched this I one guy and, and he talks about how The Simpsons was sort of a parody of how dumb a man can be and still live quite a good life. I mean, Homer's incompetent. He's a complete yeah, buffoon. That's such a good point. I didn't he's, even thought he's about that. He's yeah. drunk. He's idiotic. He just sort of falls into a job at a nuclear power plant, but he still has... Amazing wife, uh, a, a family, uh, two cars, a house in the suburbs. Yeah. And this was in the 90s. This is not that long ago. Now, there's no way someone like that could live that life. No way in hell. So I feel like we just have to say, I just had to pull this out there because we started this, which, by the way, I agree with 100% of everything you said, but we started this kind of um, conversation based off the feminist movements that we're not saying feminism is the cause of people not being able to oh, stay no, no, at home no, no, no. with children yeah, yeah, anymore. Yeah. I just feel like I had to put a disclaimer there. That's not what we're saying. Um, no. But I a thousand percent 
Agree. It's it's really hard. There's consequence for everything. And this this outcome, what we're currently talking about, is not a consequence of feminism, obviously. Um, although there are changes to society that have ripple effects in every avenue. Um, but yeah, I relate to that so much. I'm going through that right now. And this is what I was talking about in my previous podcast um, that people got a bit conflicted about when I was saying that it feels all of a sudden um, before I, when I, even when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to be going back to it. I was due in September and I was like, I'm going to be going back to work in July latest. Like I can't wait to get back to work. I'm career-oriented. I have a team, blah, blah, blah. And then a second I had him, I was like, there's no way I'm going back to work next year. And probably not the year after. Like I want to take at least two years off. I just changed immediately. And then I felt like there was a conflict there or a contrast with this identity I had of being like, I'm a strong, independent feminist woman and I'm not going to be staying at home with babies or but living that narrative. But now that's the narrative I want to live. Uh, but yeah, society has made that kind of hard. It's hard to afford. We're on a single income. Um, whether or not that happens, I'm leaving that up to the universe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, my, my close friend that I was with the other day, she's had a baby. She works in um, childcare. And she said she's worked in childcare for years, and she was like, "I'll never put my baby in childcare. Like, there's no, there's no chance in hell, I'm putting my kid in childcare. I've worked wow. in twenty different childcare centers. Blah blah blah. Just don't want to. Anyway, Yikes. I spoke to her yesterday. I was like, um, the other day, I was like, how many years or how long are you taking off? And she's like, I'll be probably having to go back, you know, in a few months. Um, and he's only a couple months old now. Because of just what they can afford, he has to go into care. Um, so childcare, I mean. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the, the things are cheap. Like consumer goods are a lot cheaper, but uh, yeah, uh, bastions of wealth and and just your purchasing power has gone down a lot from our parents. So when they mm. they say, "Oh, you should don't millennials don't work," it's like, oh, all right, like. Considering it's – you need something in Sydney, you need 17 times the average salary to buy an average house or something like that. And, yeah, that's Sydney and a lot of people are not willing to move out as you, you've you done that and yeah. good on you. But some people, yeah, they want to live a very nice life in a city that yeah. they're comfortable with and are not willing yeah. to even move to the west and mm-hmm. there might be some entitlement there. But uh, compared to what it was, it, you know, some of the – prices my like my mum bought an apartment for like I was just obscene in that 80s or 90s it was something like 80 grand or yeah just yeah. so insane and yeah the salaries were lower but comparatively not by the degree that uh yeah. house prices were so yeah we get a cheap phone but what's more meaningful owning your own home or um bunch of cheap mm. shit from china so i think um it's something to to consider also that might relate to people not dating. There's the financial cost. Definitely. Um, and yeah. even just the cost of going on dates. It's not yeah. that if you're going like your friend, I don't know if she, if the man is paying or what the, the situation. Men pay for yeah. This friend. Okay. Yeah. Well then, you know, if you're a man and you wanna, you know, date well and date properly, it's actually it's pretty expensive. Uh yeah, do coffee dates. That's it. That's what I said to all the guys. Just do coffee dates. Yeah. Yeah, but then, you know. Even you, then, I got a coffee this morning and it was small and it was $6.50. <laughs> I 
Well, yeah, there's that. But uh, <laughs> you can't, you know, you go, eventually you're going to take someone to dinner and you're going to... Yeah. And then if you're constantly getting two, three, four dates in and then nothing's happening, you're, you're actually... It's not only that, you're like investing your emotional energy, but you're investing financially. Yeah. And you can rack up pretty... Like, I think I, I actually did see a statistic the other day where a lot of millennials still have... Um, if they've if they've done uni, they've got debt, and yep. then they there's a rental crisis right now. And uh, if they've just bought, as you would know, as I know, the all the loan repayments have gone up, and the property value's gone. And I think mine's less than what I bought it for, and I bought it for I bought it like six years ago or something. Yeah. And wow. I, I know I know this is a first world problem. I'm not trying to say woe well, is me or anything like that, but um, you know, you, when you feel like you can't. Get a, you know when you feel like you're going yeah. backwards, it sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. It's yeah. not a good feeling, and um, that would it, just people's pressure. That I think people, the pressure a lot of people are facing, would make you. You wouldn't want to date. You you feel like I, I gotta, I gotta try to get a, a property. I gotta try to find a place to rent. I gotta do all this other stuff. I don't have time to. Give my best self to a partner, and and you know I might even be in my thirties. Like it's it's yeah. it's not um, as uh, easy as uh, I think some of the older generations make it may think it is, and it may have been for them. And this, uh, there's other yeah. things where it is easier. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say again like oh we should all be our entire generation should develop a sense of collective victimhood, but um. No, there are other sort of financial concerns that uh, I, I I would imagine contribute to particularly millennials not wanting to date, um, and I think those are some of the ones I just I just went through. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's expensive dating well, yeah. <laughs> or even if you do like have to move out of the sit- city or Sydney, like the inner inner Sydney, which you basically have to do if you're a millennial that wants to buy, and then you do a two-hour commute into the city. When do you have fuel. time for dating? <laughs> that Other too, that, yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah, get home at 8 o'clock, go to bed and wake up at 6 and leave. And then, you know, you sort of think of AI is going to take over half the white-collar workforce in the next 10 years. Why should I even slave away to move up the corporate ladder? I don't want to um, go into this conversation right before I go to bed because it's going to keep me up <laughs> all night thinking about AI. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we're going off on a, on a maybe a bit of a tangent. That's my fault. So uh, any any final thoughts on, on people who are done with dating? Any Anything that um, maybe you'd recommend? I think reading Esther Perel, someone we always talk about, will, will, will help. Um, a few other good books there. I think there's a guy called Bruce Bryans I find really good from a, for, for men. Um, and just a lot of the the classics, your men are from Mars, women from Venus. Um, uh, why him, why her is one I really, yeah, really like. And a lot of these just basic relationship psychology books will help you if you find that you're done with dating because you're frustrated and because it's not working out for you. Yeah, I think that's the important thing is if you're done with dating, that's actually fine if you're satisfied with that. But if it's coming from a place of resentment, do... Yeah, take your time, but it would be it's worth kind of investigating, looking into things, um, healing from that. I think resentment, even when you find the perfect person, it stays with you and it carries over and it's a really hard thing to shake. So be conscious of that. Well said. Yeah. Well said. And what you said for lust, don't always trust lust. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, 
then trust lust. Don't trust lust. All right. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, we might be taking a week off. Uh, you'll find out if there's a podcast <laughs> released next week, but uh, both a bit busy at the moment, so there might be a week, maybe two weeks off, but we'll definitely be back very soon with the next podcast. As always, subscribe, share the podcast around, uh, get yourself some Crush Organics CBD oil, crushorganics.com. Use the code NEIL. Come to a Comedy Untamed show and follow us on socials. Thanks. See you next week.